Well, good morning. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. It's good to see you guys. My name is Tim. I am the pastor here. If you are new with us, uh, I just want to welcome you. I, I know it's a big deal for you to show up at a new place, a new church. Maybe this is new for you, this whole experience. And so we're really glad that you've taken that step. It's a really important one. We have a lot of festivities after the service. They've already been mentioned, cake pops and photo booths uh, for your family and egg hunts for you kids. And then during the service, baptisms, we're going to celebrate what Easter is all about. What Zach just prayed for is that Jesus died and rose again. And there's some people who have placed their faith in that truth. They're going to get baptized today. Listen, if you have placed your faith in that truth, if you place your faith in that truth today before our time is up, we invite you to celebrate that truth publicly through baptism. So that's coming up a little bit later. Uh, one of the things that I'm really excited about is this Easter offering. This is something we've never done before. We're going to take all the money that comes in today. We'll show you how to give online. We're going to take an offering later at the end of the service. Uh, and it's all going to be given away. Uh, we're going to give it to that organization, Crossroads Youth Intervention, to help kids uh, in this neighborhood, some refugee kids, go to a camp, hear about Jesus, get mentored, and really have an experience of a lifetime. And so I would encourage you, even if you are new, uh, let's make this not just a, a fun, celebratory Easter service. Let's make this a blessing of generosity that impacts lives. And so we're going to do that a little bit later in the service. But I'm most excited about today to talk about what Easter really means. Right, that's why we're here. We're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And I know you're thinking, Tim, everybody knows that already. And no, they don't. Take a look at the screen. We're going to watch a quick video. Can you tell me the story of Easter? Uh, 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 the first Easter. Ooh. You got toys? What kind of toys? Lego. Jesus rose from the dead? What happened with Jesus on Easter? He made a bunny. I think he um, led some people somewhere. Who were his like main friends? Uh, his disciples. The bad guys killed him. The Romans, I think it was. He got like pinned to a to a cross. He did this. Everybody was watching, and then um. And yeah, then sooner or later he died. What did he die of? Um, I don't know. What do you think? Drugs. He was put into a cave with a rock. He was in heaven um, working on his project. Then he, then he came down to see the bunny. What project was Jesus working on? A computer? He made a promise that he will come back on Easter. It took three days The two angels come and move a photo, and Jesus was alive. When Jesus came back, he gave people Easter eggs. He said, Bunny, please, please don't hide the Easter eggs. What did the people say when Jesus came back? Um, they said, Jesus... Please take care of us. Please don't kill us. What did Jesus do when he came back to life? <laughs> All right. Well, my favorite one was Jesus made a bunny. All right, Jesus did make a bunny. 
just not on Easter. He created everything at the beginning of time. And so uh, that's just a little fun way to show you that, man, people, not just kids, have all kinds of ideas about what Easter really means. We're going to talk about what it actually means from, from Scripture. And I know as we do that, we do have people from different backgrounds in here. Some of you are brand new to church, new to the whole Christian thing. We love it that you're here. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you're in town with family. Uh, you're going to eat lunch later, and so you're like, Why not, might as well come to an Easter service. Maybe some of you got tricked into coming. Maybe you thought, I'm going downtown to this hip Easter brunch place, and then you roll up to a church. And so I don't know how you're here. If you're new, we love it that you're here. I believe today's truth could change your life. Uh, even if you grew up in the church, and maybe some of you were born in a pew, I believe today, looking at the truth of Easter could change your life. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. He changes everything for everyone in all of history. And so we're going to look at that. And to do that, we're going to look at the book of Mark in your New Testament. Zach already read it. Mark 16. I would like you to follow along with us. You can grab a Bible around you, look on the screen, look it up on your app, and get to Mark chapter 16. Mark is one of four resurrection accounts. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell this story. We're just going to look at Mark today, and I want you to see something just as we get started that's really fascinating. Look at it with me. Verse 1, we see some people show up at Jesus' empty tomb. And if you notice, they're all women. Mark names them. He says, Mary Magdalene, Mary mother of James, and Salome. They bring spices to perfume the body, which is a sign of respect and love for the dead. And so that's the scene we show up to. But here's what you need to know. Women being the first to show up at Jesus' tomb may not shock you, but it would have shocked them. That in that culture, women were devalued. In that time, women were devalued. That what we know from history is that they had rights just above a slave. That oftentimes in a court of law, they, their testimony wasn't considered legitimate. And the other night, as we talked through the Easter story, I'm talking through my oldest daughter who's in this room, this specific account in Mark 16 and how these women show up at this empty tomb and how that's a, a big deal. And I love it because her response as she heard that women were devalued in this culture was this. It was, well, that's rude. You should never disrespect a woman. And I said, amen. She's right. You should never disrespect a woman. And what I love about this is God elevates women, right? If you're hearing a woman and you think, man, the church suppresses women and oppresses women, you need to know the most important event in all of history happened, and who's the first people who show up? Women, right? Now, there's more significance to it than just that. God is elevating women here, but you need to see something else, that this should give us confidence, like this should give us confidence that Jesus really rose from the grave. That Easter is not just about pastels and bunnies and eggs. Jesus really did this. I believe this. Some of you in here, you believe this. And one of the ways we see that is just by this fact that he brings women to the empty tomb. The first people that show up. He doesn't bring powerful religious leaders. He doesn't bring Roman officials that could verify this account for all of history. He brings women who their testimony wouldn't even hold up in court, who had rights just above a slave. And as God writes the story of Scripture, he says, I'm going to put women there. They're going to be the first ones there. Listen, you wouldn't make this stuff up. You need to know that. You wouldn't put women there. 
that Jesus really rose from the grave, and we can have confidence just from this first verse. The second thing I want you to notice is the tomb itself. You see, some people have said, maybe, maybe the, the reason for all of this, all the hubbub, all the Easter resurrection stuff, is that some disciples stole the body of Jesus. Maybe they snuck in there and they, they craftily figured out a way to steal the body of Jesus, and maybe that can explain away Easter. Well, let's consider that for a moment. Look at the text with me. Mark says, the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. Mark says that. We know from history that tombs in that day were typically six feet high, several hundred pounds. We know from other texts that they would have had Roman guards there because Think about this. They had heard about Jesus' claims. They had heard about his claims to be the son of God who would die and three days later rise. And they did everything they could to squash that. They killed Jesus on a cross. And they know Jesus says he's going to rise. And so they go to the tomb. They put guards. We know from the other gospels, they put guards in front of it because they didn't want to leave any doubt. They didn't want to leave any hint of resurrection talk because the Roman government would have known that a revolt was coming. If people think Jesus is alive, a revolt is coming because that means we killed the Son of God. And so just imagine this scene. You have a massive tomb. You have a highly motivated government to squash any talk of resurrection. And yet, some people believe the disciples, remember who the disciples were, fishermen, Read the Gospels. They didn't get a lot of stuff right. Somehow these fishermen who didn't get a lot of stuff right, they snuck in. They were able to roll a tomb back that was six feet high, several hundred pounds, against Roman guards. And they stole the body. Listen, you need to know that's crazy talk if you actually read the Bible and know history. That's crazy talk. Do your homework. You're here today. Listen, I'm glad you're here. You're going to eat lunch later. We're going to do a lot of fun things. Don't waste this opportunity. Do your homework. Read the Bible. Check into the resurrection account. It's not blind faith. Jesus really rose from the grave. We see it just in these couple verses in Mark 16. Listen, that is why the disciples who are running away at this point, they're running away scared. That's why Later on, they don't run away. They run to everybody they know to proclaim Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, that it's true. Why does that happen? Why do they go on, the disciples, why do they go on, most of them, to give their lives for this cause? You don't do that for a self-made falsehood, right? You do that because you believe Jesus is alive, because it's true. I, I think one of the best evidences of this is James. You know, James in the New Testament wrote a book of the Bible. James was Jesus' brother. And so just think about that. James goes on to say, Jesus is God. He writes a book about it in our Bible. James was Jesus' brother. And I know some of you in here have a brother. Listen, there's no way you would say your brother is God unless he rose from the grave. Amen? Some of you have a brother, he thinks he's God, and what do you want to do? You want to give him a knuckle sandwich. But if he rose from the grave, you'd have to reconsider, right? Listen, this is real. Jesus really rose from the grave, and that changes everything. It changes your life, but you need to know it changes history. You see this in the Bible. 
that as we have the Bible, many of you have one sitting around, many of you have a digital version on your phone, that what we have in the Bible is really a library, that it is 66 books written by 40-plus authors over 1,500 years, all pointing to the same person, Jesus Christ. You need to know that there's other books that have been written, right? There's other books that have been written by one man, by one author. There's other books that have been written about other gods, plural. And you know what we call both of those now? Cults. Myths. Greek mythology. The reason it's called mythology is because it's a myth. It's not widely accepted as truth. The Bible is different. You need to know that. It's different. There's no other book like this. That's why we open it up every Sunday, not just on Christmas and Easter. The Bible is different. It's why that when in a courtroom still today with all the flack against Christianity and all the doubt against the Bible and all the Discovery Channel episodes poking holes in the Bible, it's why still to this day, what do you do? I'm going to do it with my right hand so I can do it right. You put your right hand on the Bible because it signifies what? Truth. Something is going on here. You need to pay attention. Jesus has affected all of history. We see it in the Bible. We see it in time. That Jesus splits history into two parts. B.C., before Christ. A.D., Anno Domini. It means the year of our Lord. It means the year Jesus was born. That our whole time, when we say 2017, we are acknowledging the reality of Jesus. Do you know that? That when you celebrated New Year's Eve, however you brought the New Year in, kazoos, kissing your spouse, doing fireworks, whatever you did, you were acknowledging, it's 2017, you were acknowledging Jesus. And so was everybody, think about this, so was everybody across the world. The reason we count like that, the reason right now the date is 2017 is because of who? Is because of who? Jesus. Jesus has changed everything. He's changed history. We see that on Easter. Today, a few billion people around the world, depending on their time zone, are doing what we are doing here. They're gathering in the name of Jesus Christ. Something's going on there. This wasn't a self-made falsehood. This wasn't a cute story. This really happened. Jesus really died. He really rose from the grave, and it changes everything. We see that as we look back at Mark. Look at the text with me. Mark verse 1, we see real people with real names. Mary Magdalene, Mary mother of James. She has a family. This is verifiable. Verse 2, this happened on the first day of the week. So it's not once upon a time, kids. You never see that in the Bible, do you? Once upon a time this happened. No, you see specific days. We see that in this text with the resurrection. Verse 6, Jesus of Nazareth, that Jesus had a hometown. He was a real person from a real place. Verse 7, they're told to meet Jesus in Galilee, a real place. Listen, I know there's a lot going on today. I know it's Easter. I know you've got to put the ham in the oven. I know there's an egg hunt after this. I know your kids are already hopped up on sugar. And we're going to add to that a little bit later with the egg hunt. Sorry about that. I know all that's going on. I know you got family in here. I know some of that's joyful, and some of that brings tension. Don't look around. I know there's a lot going on today, but don't miss this. Jesus didn't make a bunny. 
He rose from the dead. That's why we're here. Don't miss that for the ham and the oven. Right? Don't miss that for an egg hunt. Address that truth for your life. History has seen it. Have you seen it? Have you believed in it? Has it changed your life? Because listen, it will change everything. We see it in verse 6. Look back at Mark with me. Verse 6, we see the Marys and Salome are told Jesus has been crucified, but he has risen. We talked about this at length on Good Friday, that Jesus died for your sin, that he rose for your sin. And as we talk about sin, maybe that's a new word for you. Maybe you've heard it and you just felt guilty about it, but you're not really sure what that means. The word sin means literally missing the mark of God's holiness. That God has set a standard of perfection, that he's glorious, that he gives perfectly, he loves perfectly, he has perfect patience. And Romans 3 says, we said it on Friday night, we all fall short of that. If you can picture this bar that's set so high, you can't pull vault over that, right? You can't go under it. We all fall short of it. We can't achieve that standard. And so what Jesus does, it's an amazing truth, is in our sin, he sends Jesus to die in our place. Because Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. Because God isn't just perfect, he's just. He's not just loving, he's holy. And so he sends Jesus to die the death that you deserved in your place for your sins. Let me ask you a question, and you can respond to this. It's okay. Have have you ever sinned? Raise your hand. Some of you didn't raise your hand, and you need to know you just lied. (laughs) Which is a sin. And so... We are all equal in our sin today. I know some people have vests on. Some people have their Easter dress on, maybe even an Easter hat. I think I saw one over there. There you go. I know a lot of people look nice today. It's a pretty day. But listen, all of us are in the same boat in our sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. But the reason we just sang some songs really loud, the reason I think my ear is a little numb right now, is because Jesus died for your sin. He rose for your sin. He defeated sin, death, and the grave. That's good news this morning. That's good news that you can receive and believe, and it can change everything for you, but you need to know that it is only through Jesus. It's only through Jesus. It's not Jesus and, right? I was at a nearby restaurant just the other day, picking up sandwiches for our Good Friday service for our volunteers. And I roll up in the parking lot, I pull in, and I see in front of me on the sign, it says, Habanero Parking Only. That was the Mexican restaurant, Habanero Parking Only. But then right under that sign, there's a big fat sign that says Jimmy John's. So I don't know if you caught that. I pull in and I'm like, Habanero Parking Only, but also Jimmy John's, right? They both can't be true, right? It can't be this thing only, but also this, right? Jimmy John's, I think, snuck that in there, right? You can go verify this across the street. But they both can't be true with restaurants. They both can't be true with Jesus. That as we look at the Bible, it says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That really you should accentuate the. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. There is no other way to God than Jesus. And so Jesus dies for your sin. Jesus pays for your sin through his death and resurrection. And it's only Jesus. It's not Jesus and. I grew up in a good family. 
It's not Jesus and I serve the homeless. It's not Jesus and I follow some religious rules. It's Jesus alone. Listen, those aren't bad things. Those are great things. They're just not sufficient to pay your sin debt before a holy God. Jesus alone is. That on the cross, Jesus said this. He said, it is finished. That word in the original language is tetelestai. Tetelestai literally means debt paid in full. That Jesus alone makes sufficient payment for your sin. That it's not Jesus and something else. And so if you've been buying into that your whole life of like, hey, I did these things. Hey, I walked an elderly person across the street. Hey, I know some of the Bible even. That's not sufficient to pay your sin debt. That only Jesus is. He has been crucified, but he is resurrected. That that changes everything. And what's interesting, if you look back at the passage with me, it changes everything for a guy named Peter. Verse 7 says, the women are told to tell a few people that Jesus is risen. Look at the text with me. Verse 7, who are they supposed to tell? The disciples and who? Peter. Tell the disciples and Peter. Now, Peter was a disciple. In fact, he was one of Jesus' most closest followers. And so why single him out here? Why not just say, go tell the disciples? Well, if you look at Mark 14, Peter goes on to deny Jesus three times. In Jesus' darkest moment, Jesus is on trial for his life. And in that moment, one of his closest followers, Peter, denies Jesus not just once, but three times. And so you got to think, at this point, it's possible, if you can imagine Peter, that other people that he may have thought that he was out, that he wasn't included in the disciples anymore. That maybe other people would have even said that, like, Peter, that doesn't include you anymore. And so we hear the women are told, go tell the disciples, but also tell Peter. Listen, that is significant. Jesus didn't give up on Peter. Peter denied Jesus on his darkest day, but Jesus doesn't give up on Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter that he's still included in this thing. And listen, I don't know how you walk in here today. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what's been done to you. But you need to know Jesus hasn't given up on you either. You're still a part of this thing. You can still be a part of this thing. But you have to acknowledge, you have to believe and receive the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so how does Peter respond to this news? This text tells us the women are trembling, they're astonished and afraid, as many of us would be if we went to a tomb and nobody was there. These women feel that. We know that from the other gospel accounts, though, they finally shake that off, and they go tell the disciples, and they go tell Peter. We know from Luke's gospel that this is the way Peter responds. He takes off running. Peter hears this news, and he takes off running. He goes and he sees in the empty tomb, and Luke's gospel tells us he walks away marveling. We know from the book of Acts that Peter goes on to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus did in fact live, die, resurrect. That is true. It really happened. Peter proclaims that in the book of Acts, and over 3,000 people come to know Jesus. 
Listen, something is happening with that. Peter sees the fact that he's not out of this thing. He's still a part of this thing. He can still give his life to this thing. That Jesus really did rise and die and rose again. And it changes everything for Peter. He goes from denier to disciple. It changes his identity. He goes from doubter to proclaimer. It changes his purpose. And this truth on Easter can change that for you as well. How do I know that? Because it did it for me. Maybe some of you are thinking, well, that guy, he's a pastor. I mean, he's always been on stage. He's always been talking to people about Jesus. No, I haven't. That I was like Peter. That I denied Jesus not just three times, but for a few years. That I was disenfranchised with the church. I went my own way. I looked at God's holiness, and I said, God, I think I have a better plan. I'm going to figure this out myself. I did that for a few years. But then when I was in college, a guy took some time with me, grabbed hold of me, and told me what I'm telling you today, that Jesus is alive. That that changes everything. And we started to read through the Bible and read through the gospel accounts and see all of what Jesus taught and all of the people Jesus healed. But we also looked that Jesus died and took my sin in my place. But he didn't stay dead, and he rose again in victory over sin, death, and the grave. And I marveled at that, that God would do that for me, somebody who denied Jesus for a few years, that God would invite me into the fold. He would change my identity, but not just change what I do. He would change my purpose, and not just change who I am, but change my purpose and change what I do, that he changed everything for me. Listen, you need to know, that's the only reason why I'm standing before you today. That's the only reason why I put on a vest, right? I wouldn't put on a vest any other way. The reason we do all this, the reason I'm up here yelling at you about Jesus is because he changed my life. He took me from a denier to a disciple, from a doubter to a proclaimer. He can do that for you. And you don't have to become a pastor, right? It's okay. You don't have to become a pastor. He does this for you as a parent. And so on those days, when you come home as a parent, like I did the other night, and all of your kids are screaming together in unison, that Jesus changes everything even in that moment. That when you come home from a stressful day at work, dads, and you're thinking, man, I I have failed at this thing. I'm not doing this thing like I should be. I should be a, a better father. I should be a better husband When you come home and you're spent, that Jesus changes everything for you in that moment. That in those moments, listen, this is really important. Your identity is not getting your act together as a parent. It's in Jesus Christ. It's in resting, even in those crazy moments, in those real moments, as a parent. It's resting in the completed work of Christ on your behalf. That it changes even that moment, that in that moment, even when it's chaotic, you can rest in Jesus. And you can begin to point your kids, not to put their hope in you, but to put their hope in Jesus. To rest in him as well. We're going to do a whole series on this starting next week on rest, purposeful rest. What does it mean to actually rest? Because listen, we don't know how to do that, do we? Newsflash. Watching Netflix for six hours not resting, sorry. 
So we're going to talk about for the next four weeks, what does it mean to rest? Listen, parents, we need to learn how to rest purposefully and point our kids to that in the name of Jesus Christ. So Jesus changes everything as a parent. He changes everything as a spouse. A lot of you in here are married, and maybe you've been married for a few weeks, as we have some people in here who have been married for a few weeks. Maybe you've been married for 20 years. And maybe as you look at your marriage, maybe you say, man, I love my spouse, but we've had some difficulty in our marriage. Right? Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Everybody's marriage is in here are perfect? No. We've had some difficulty. And listen, I think at the root of most of our difficulty in marriage is that what we do is, as husbands is we look at our wives and we want them to fulfill all our expectations. I think as wives, what you do sometimes is you look at your husbands and you look at them and you look at all the things they do and the work and what they do when they get home and you want them to be perfect. And when they're not, it crushes you and it stirs up conflict. And husbands, when your wife doesn't meet all your expectations of what you think she should be, it crushes you and you think, you don't respect me. Men, have you ever felt that? Women, have you ever felt that in your marriage? It stirs up conflict. And so whether you've been married a few weeks or several years, you can look at times of your life where marriage is hard, it's difficult. And listen, I think this is one of the biggest reasons why. You need to know Jesus changes your marriage. So you don't have to. Jesus changes your spouse so you don't try to fix him or her. You are freed up to love your spouse. You don't have to try to fix them. Why? Because your hope is not in your spouse. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. Your glory is not in your spouse. Your glory is living inside of you. It's Jesus Christ, the fact that he lived, died, and really resurrected. And Jesus changes you as a parent. He changes you as a spouse. And something that applies to all of us, he changes us as friends. He changes our relationships. That when you look at your friendships and you look at the people even in this room, you don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to make everybody like you. Maybe some of you walked in here today and you just thought, like, do I, do I look good enough? Did I, I say things right? Did I offend that person? Do they really like me? And all you thought about is, is me, me, me. And listen, Newsflash on that as well. Nobody's thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. Right? And so listen, the, the gospel, Jesus, changes that. That you no longer have to gain approval from other people. That you have gained ultimate approval as a gift from Jesus Christ through the cross. And so you can walk in a room like this and you can just walk a little bit freer, right? You can skip around. Because you don't have to gain approval from these people. You already have it through Jesus. Jesus changes your friendships. It changes everything. It changes your job, your home. It changes your eternity. But listen, as we look at this, you have to respond. It's not enough to just flippantly acknowledge it. It's not enough to show up at church on Easter. It's not enough to speak the language we're so good at that, but it's not enough. It's not enough to serve the homeless. It's not enough to do all these good things and follow some religious to-dos. None of that is enough. 
You have to respond to the reality that all of history has seen and observed and validates. And our Bible does so as well. You have to respond to that this morning. That you have to look at Jesus and you have to look at your life and think, have I really considered this? Here's the thing you need to know about what we believe. If you're new to this thing, we have more than just hope. We have more than just hope. We have a hope-filled confidence. That's key. We don't just have hope. We're not just all in here singing loud and, and getting excited because we think maybe Jesus rose from the dead. That would be silly. Listen, we have a hope-filled confidence that we're able to look at the events of history, we're able to look at these 66 books, 40 plus authors written over 1,500 years that all point to Jesus, we're able to look at all of that and with our head and with our heart and with our hands have hope-filled confidence. There's a difference. And so maybe one of the reasons you're here today is you're skeptical about this Christianity thing and you think, man, I'm just curious. Let's, let's see if there's anything legit that this guy has to say. I know you said that. If that's you, and you think, man, Christians, they just check their brains at the door, no. No. No, we, we put our whole head, our whole heart, our whole hands into this thing that we believe Jesus really lived, died, and resurrected. And so we have a hope-filled confidence. You can have that today as well, but you have to respond. You have to get over your pride, get over your excuses, Realize Jesus paid for your sin. You're not too far gone. You haven't done too much. Look at Peter. Today is a significant day because Jesus is alive. And he changes everything in history, and he can change everything for you. But you need to respond. Let's take a few minutes to do that now. Let's pray together.